Okay, I'm David. My lovely wife, Joanna, is out of the room. Uh, we are the Herobedians, virtualchurchmedia.com. You can visit us online at virtualchurchmedia.com. Tonight, we've got a very exciting message. I think it's timely, it's poignant, of what God is wanting to address and confront and enable us to recognize and to overcome and defeat. It's called the spirit of Jezebel. I haven't taught on the spirit in a long time, but it's rising in the earth because God wants to deal with it. The only time the enemy is able to raise its ugly head is when the Lord wants you to take the sword of the Spirit and lop it off. This, this spirit of Jezebel is a principality. It's a principality. It's a high-level spirit. You don't fight Jezebel uh, through spiritual warfare in the same way you would take down a demon. You know, you cast out demons with the word of God. Jesus cast out demons with his word. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this present age. By the way, we have a live audience. Everybody say hello. Hello. Okay. So uh, Jezebel is a different type of spirit. There's two major types of spirits that you deal with in the principality realm. And one is called Jezebel, and the other is called Leviathan. Leviathan stops the glory from manifesting, or it creates a counterfeit glory. The glory is when God comes in, he crashes in, signs, wonders, miracles take place, lives are transformed instantly in the presence of God, creative miracles occur. And so when that's occurring in a church or a ministry, Leviathan slips in and tries to stop the glory through accusation. It stirs up people. It causes division and strife. And it uses demons, but it literally is the puppet master in the heavenlies in the second heaven. The first heaven is the realm that we operate in. We have dominion over the first heaven, the atmospheric realm. The second heaven is where principalities and powers operate. The third heaven is where God and his angels operate. When Daniel was fasting and praying, he went on a fast until he heard from God. And from the moment he began to pray, Michael, the archangel, or Gabriel, was sent in response. But the prince of Persia, a principality in the book of Daniel, intercepted him. And it was 21 days of battle in the heavenlies where Gabriel came in response to Daniel's prayer. So Daniel was in the first heaven, the atmospheric realm, the earth, and Gabriel was sent from the third heaven, the throne of God, but he had to get through the second heaven where the principalities and the powers and the rulers of the darkness of this present world are stored and housed and live. And Daniel prayed 21 days, and it wasn't until Michael the archangel was sent to take the battle over with this prince of Persia that Gabriel was released. And Gabriel said these words, Daniel, from the moment you prayed, from the moment you prayed, God heard, I was sent, but the prince of Persia withstood me 21 days. You know, sometimes your prayers are hindered, not because God's not answering, but because there's a real war going on in the heavenlies. I don't know if you realize this, but... The, when you were born, you were dropped right in the middle of an angel war. Angels of goodness and angels of evil. When Lucifer fell from grace due to pride and iniquity, 
He took a third of the angels with him. Pretty crazy, isn't it? And so we're right in the middle of an angel war. And guess who the war is over? Us. It's over souls. So recognize and realize you're in the middle of a battle. You're in the middle of a war. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against you and me. It's not against he said, she said. It's not against race. It's not against fight. It's against the unseen realm of darkness. And they love to hit our hot buttons and give us a cause other than the cause of Christ. The Apostle Paul thought he was doing God a service when he was out killing Christians. In the middle of an angel war, he was an instrument of evil. But then after Stephen died, being stoned to death, and Saul was holding their clothes while they were pelting him with rocks and blood was flying, Stephen says, forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. What did Stephen see? He said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And they wept and gnashed their teeth at him. They were so angry. They were killing him, not because of what he'd done wrong, because, but because of what he'd done right. You're in the middle of angel wars. I'm in the middle. We're in the middle of angel wars. Recognize that you're what they're battling over. Do you remember in the book of Acts, during uh, the days of Paul, he went into a city and he preached the unknown God. Here's what happened. They had Diana of Artemis. It was a female goddess and they would make these silver idols and that's how they made their money. And when Paul preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, the apostle Paul came and declaring nothing, knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the gospel he preached with signs and wonders and it's not with persuasive words of men's, with, of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that their faith would not rest in the mere wisdom of men's words, but in the power of God. First Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five. When he got there and he preached that, they got upset. Why? Because it competed with their God. Diana of Artemis, it's how they made their money. It was mammon based. And all of a sudden they all got stirred up. And here they dragged Paul into the praetorium, they dragged him into this area and they yelled for two hours, great is our Diana of Artemis, great is Diana of Artemis. And when you know, the authorities came in, they're like, what is this about? They're like, well, we don't really know. That's how principalities operate. They'll stir up an entire thing. We've had some things happening in politics the last couple of years and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, it's ugly. I mean, it's ugly. And you're in the middle of an angel war in politics. Crazy, isn't it? You know, right now, and to date this video, uh, we, we're in the middle of a, a Supreme Court ruling over Wade or Roe versus Wade, and they leaked for the first time a draft opinion into the public, and it makes the media. This is a felony. This is a crime, and they leaked it so that they could create division and strife. And right now, people have been protesting outside the conservative. Supreme Court justices' homes making threats for them not to take away their rights to kill their children. Women are yelling, we're not going to have sex until we get our rights for abortion back. I mean, it's just like, wow. I mean, these are just like not even rational thinking, you know, I'm not going to have sex until I can kill the baby. And now they're like even going after 
full-term abortions, and then six hours afterwards you can still kill the baby, and now they're wanting 28 days. Well, what's to stop it from 28 days to 28 years? It's human sacrifice. What's interesting is if you have a baby out of the womb and it's your baby and you have the legal right to kill it, don't you have the legal right to sell the body parts too? Mm -hmm. Can't you become a baby birthing machine and get a nice revenue stream off the eyes and the liver and the kidneys and the heart? Do you know what eyes go for? You know what kidneys go for? A lot. What would you pay to get a new set of eyes for your baby? Well, now this is past. You can prepare. You can have one built for you. Pretty crazy, isn't it? It's Moloch. It's human sacrifice. That's the spirit of Jezebel. Tonight, we are going to confront a stronghold of immense proportions. It is a way of thinking that exists unchecked in most churches. We're going to expose and then destroy the hiding places of Jezebel. Understanding the spirit of Jezebel, Revelation 2, 20 through 23, this is the New King James Version. This is Jesus speaking in his resurrected state to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow or tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Revelation chapter 2, verse 21 now. And I gave her, Jesus says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. She did not turn from her wicked ways. Where's she at? She's in the church. What is she doing in the church? Teaching. She's got a teaching position in the church. Indeed, I will, this is meek and lowly Jesus, right? Meek and lowly Jesus. The same meek and lowly Jesus that took a triple braided cord and whipped people in the temple and turned over the tables and then went and wept for them. Meek and lowly Jesus. Crack, crack, crack. <laughs> meek and lowly Jesus says, Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Meek and lowly Jesus. King James says, I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will kill her children with the plagues. Meek and lowly Jesus. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. These are strong words. We're going to go through the history of Jezebel in the Old Testament, how she manifests as Herod's wife, Herodias, in the New Testament and gets John the Baptist's head cut off. She's a murderer. In the Old Testament, she bore false witness, got Ahab's signet ring of authority and paid people to bear false witness and say he said things he did not say to get him executed so that she could obtain Naboth's vineyard for her husband, Ahab, King Ahab. She manipulates without the use of physical force. When we speak of Jezebel, we're identifying the source in our society of obsession, obsessive sensuality, unbridled witchcraft, and hatred for male authority. Jezebel is a spirit, a principality. It is neither male nor female. It more commonly operates through women, but it will operate through men as well. Often worship leaders, male worship leaders, will be susceptible with a melancholy spirit to a Jezebel spirit operating through them. We're going to get into this and we're going to look at the 30 most common traits 
of a person who's been influenced by a Jezebel spirit. To understand the spirit of Jezebel, we must understand the genesis of this personality in the Bible. The first mention of Jezebel is seen in the rebellious, manipulative wife of King Ahab. It was actually this spirit operating through flesh, a person. The battle's over us, remember? It's not against each other. We got to get our eyes on the Lord in the third heaven and climb up into the courtroom of heaven and ask the Lord to deal with this spirit and to set the captives free. The first mention of Jezebel is seen in the rebellious, manipulative wife of King Ahab. It was actually this spirit operating through Queen Jezebel, which had caused over 10 million Hebrews. Listen to these statistics. 10 million Hebrews, all but 7,000 faithful souls to bow their knee to Baal and forsake the covenant, destroy the sacred altars, and kills the prophets. The covenant destroys... Here's the, here's the point. 7,000 faithful souls in 10 million. I want you to do the math here. This represents less than 1% of the population in Israel at this time when Jezebel became queen under King Ahab. Less than 1%. Seven-tenths of 1% of the population, meaning 99% were under the seducing thinking of the Jezebel spirit in a religious community and nation who was separated to serve the God of the Bible. Is that shocking numbers? Does that get your attention? Well, right now, it's happening in America and it's happening in the world. This one spirit was nearly totally responsible for corrupting an entire nation. And this principality has come full force against our nation at this time. I want to examine 30 amazingly consistent character traits of the Jezebel spirit operating through a person. But before moving there, it's important that we further lay a sound and solid biblical foundation. Please note, you cannot defeat the enemy Jezebel simply with prayer. To topple Satan's empire, we must be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. If you've got uncrucified flesh, it will influence you. You can't just defeat it with prayer. It's defeated through being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. Jesus said the prince of this world, John 14, 30 and 31, is coming. And he has nothing in me. In other words, he had nothing in common with the devil. Jesus had nothing in common with the devil. Judas had something in common with the devil and sold out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter had something in common with the devil and denied Christ three times. The 11 disciples, when Peter got up and walked on water and had great faith, they had something in common with the enemy. They operated in a spirit of fear. They wouldn't get out and walk with Jesus. What is it that's in you or me that we still have in common with the enemy that gives the enemy an inroad into our life to get into our thinking, to influence our character, to cause us to compromise with the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, whether we go for gold, glory, girls, or guys, the three Gs, gold, glory, and girls, or guys, or the three Ps, power, position, prominence. What are the three G's grab you? The bling, the gold, the glory, the girl. What is it about the three P's that is an allurement? Position, power, prominence. 
if those things still have a hook in you, you still have something in common with the enemy that would give him permission to hook you. King David was a mighty man of God. He was triple anointed. He was anointed to be prophet, priest, and king. King Saul was just anointed to be king and fell because of pride. He wanted prominence. He wanted that position. He wanted that power. And what happened? He wanted that. And what happened was it cost him his soul. Do you realize that? He had a single portion of the Holy Spirit anointed to be king, but he couldn't handle it. David and Saul. David goes and kills Goliath. And Saul says, what's going on? And the people were crying out. Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. What does Saul do at that point? He doesn't say, oh my gosh, let me mentor this guy. Let me help raise him up. He's got an anointing that's greater than me. Let me father him in the faith and my sealing and ministry will become David's floor to go to the next level and the people will be furthered by God's purposes. No, he says, what do you mean he's slain his tens of thousands? I got to get rid of that guy because I love my power, my position, and my prominence. I love the gold, the glory, and the girls. I got to get rid of David. How am I going to do it? I'll send him off to a battle and get him killed. I'll seduce him into his own undoing and I'll tell him if he goes out and gets a hundred Philistine, Philistine foreskins in battle, I'll give him my daughter. I'll trade my daughter to get him killed. This is the manipulation that occurs in ministry, in politics, in positions of political authority. This is real. Anyway, 10 times Saul tries to get David killed. David survives. Saul ends up suicidal in battle. Judas sells out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, ends up suicidal. You see a pattern here? It's not good to come against the anointed or the anointing on a person's life. If you see somebody more anointed than you, celebrate it. If you see somebody more gifted than you, celebrate it. Mentor them. Show them how not to make the same mistakes you and I made when we didn't have proper mentorship. When I meet somebody who's a young evangelist and they've got an anointing on their life, I want to help encourage them, raise them up, give them advice, meet with them for lunch, pour into them, pray for them for impartation, tell them the mistakes I made so that they don't make them. And then my heart is to see the ceiling that my wife and have in ministry become their floor to go to the next level. I'd rather get my reward in heaven for helping facilitate and further the kingdom than get my reward on earth with the gold, the glory, and the girls or the power and the position and the prominence. We serve the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. We don't serve the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Since the first century age of the early apostles, and especially since the, down, the dawn of electronic age, the scale of the battle has greatly increased. And you're going to hear in a few seconds how this has occurred, because every one of us at this point has a computer, a tablet, a smartphone, a smartwatch, Wi-Fi, something that connects us to the internet. 
It's difficult for us in our generation to discern the scope of warfare that hits the church and world in general today. We might actually suppose that warfare should decrease since the number of demons has not changed since the first century. While the earth's population of mankind has grown from 300 million to almost 8 billion souls today. Yet the access the devil has to the souls in our world has not decreased, it's increased. Through mass communication, media, internet, social media, Twitter, smartphones, text messaging, television, internet, TV, movies, movies on demand, billboards, literature of all kinds, magazines, newspapers, books, Kindles, and assorted e-readers. Social media today in America boasts almost 2 billion users and a billion of them are mobile users from the palm of their hand on demand checking their social media and posting pictures, words, and videos daily in their news feeds to affect positively or negatively the souls that are push-marketed through their news feed. More than half the population of 330 million owns a Facebook account. In addition, it's reported that the average smartphone user, you ready for this, checks their device 344 times a day. Text and picture messages, Skype, video chats, Tango, chat on Viber, video games, TikTok, and the like. Our U.S. population is being bombarded by the hour. Remember, Jezebel is a way of thinking. Three of the devil's biblical names describing his character, nature, and strategy and modus operandi are number one, he's the prince of the power of the air including electronic communications of the 21st century, soon to be the metaverse, where you can actually step in with a pair of goggles and go shopping in a store and buy something and try it on. Yeah, and so you can actually do it. You, 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 think, you think you've been having fun with Amazon, wait till you step into the metaverse. So what's amazing is God created the technology. But are we using it or allowing the enemy to use it? Technology is neutral. Don't be afraid of it. Go take that mountain and preach Jesus. So Ephesians 2.2 says the devil is the prince of the power of the air. Number two, the mind blinder spirit. The God of this world has blinded the minds of those that are perishing, 2 Corinthians 4.4. And Diabolos is the Greek name for the devil. It's the one who comes to repeatedly pound on our mind until he gets in. You know how many times it takes you to hear something before you believe a lie and start repeating it as true? Seven. Have you ever watched the major networks when they want to push a narrative? You can flip from channel to channel to channel. They have the exact same narrative, the exact same keywords. They've bombarded the minds of people to call evil good and good evil. And once you've heard it seven times, the rule of sevens in your psyche, the way God created it, that's God's number, seven. It's a number of completion. Number eight is new beginnings. Seven days in a week, the next day is the first day of the next week. The eighth day is the next day. So the five gates of man are this. Let me just repeat these three things. Number one, he's the prince of the power of the air, including electronic communications in the 21st century, Ephesians 2.2. Number two, he's the mind blinder. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he blinds the minds of those that are perishing that they cannot see 
the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I've literally shared the gospel with people before in such clear and concise ways. They could not see it. They said, well, I don't understand it. I said, I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. You ever talk with somebody about a very simple issue and they just can't see it? And you're like, why can't they see it? It's a mind-blinding spirit that's blinded the minds of those that are perishing. All you have to do is say, you mind-blinding spirit binding so-and-so in the name of Jesus Christ, I bind you and I command you to cease and desist in your operations against them right now. And just change the subject. Say, hey, how about those chiefs? How about the royals? How about the... About Tom Brady lately, you know, whatever. And they'll immediately come right back to the subject and their mind will be free and they'll be able to hear the gospel. The Jews, when Moses is read, they have a veil over their mind, but God's removing the veil that they can see the glorious gospel. It's a mind-blinding spirit. So the first one is the prince of the power of the air of communications, electronics communications included, Ephesians 2, 2, the devil. Number two, the mind-blinding spirit, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and three, diabolos, the one who comes to repeatedly pound on the mind until he gets in. Remember how Delilah vexed the spirit of Samson and she repeatedly came at him asking him the secret of his power. And finally, he was vexed in spirit and gave her the secret. And then the Philist, she cut off his hair. He got his locks clipped while he had his head in the lap of Delilah the hairdresser and he lost his power. She vexed him, she pounded on him. It was a spirit operating through her. What's been pounding on your mind to get you to break down to agree with it? Stand against it. There's also five gates of man. The five gates of man are the eye gate, things we look at, the ear gate, things we listen to, the nose gate, things we smell, or snort the mouth gate things we eat or drink or say and the touch gate either violent touch or sensual touch any of these gates can allow the enemy into our life if we're not careful so we have to protect our gates which is our five senses and we have to recognize the enemy in the realm of electronics, in the mind-blinding thing that distorts things, and also the repeated pounding that comes. First Corinthians chapter, or First Kings chapter 18. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah the prophet had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. Jezebel is a murdering spirit, and she gets a position of political influence and authority and she uses laws and rules and an army. She manipulates without the use of physical force and twists. 2 Chronicles 22, 9 through 12. So the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. Now when Adaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. She's a murdering spirit. But Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him in his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jeroam, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, 
hid him from Adaliah so that she did not kill him and was hidden with them in the house of God for six years while Adaliah took a position as queen instead of being married to a king. She killed everybody to get power. She seized power through murder. This is the Jezebel spirit, a principality operating through some. I, I want to share something with you. Just because somebody has Jezebelian thinking, Jezebelian tendencies, and some Jezebelian ways doesn't make them a Jezebel. They're influenced by that spirit. There's an immature Jezebel spirit, and there's a mature Jezebel spirit. An immature Jezebel spirit is learning and getting an Eros payoff, some sort of benefit from that spirit and that way and that system of thinking operating in and through their lives. They get a payday for it. And if they yield to it long enough, they'll rise in a position of power and that spirit will fully possess them. They'll be in lockstep with it. I'll give you some examples that I've experienced in my own life. One from a Christian chaplain in Springfield, Missouri at the Medical Center for Federal Prisoners. She actually made my book, Jet Ride to Hell, Journey to Freedom. And this is where the Lord began to really allow me to cut my teeth and to understand this spirit, not because I read it in a book, but because I experienced it in real life, which drove me back to the book, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. And then I began to study secondary citations of authority of people who'd been through battles that could exegete or read out of the scriptures and to teach me what I did not know. Bloody Mary, remember her relentless papist and mass murderer, 1553 to 1558. She had ruled five years. She died at age 42 of uterine and ovarian cancer. I will cast her on a bed of suffering, Jesus said. I will kill her children with the plagues. Bloody Mary had always rejected and resented the break with Rome that her father had instituted with the subsequent establishment of the Anglican Church that flowed from her half-brother's Protestantism and now she tried to turn England back to Roman Catholicism. This effort was carried out by force and hundreds of Protestant leaders were executed under Bloody Mary who carried a Jezebel spirit. The first was John Rogers. The first was John Rogers, a.k.a. Thomas Matthews, the printer of the Matthew Tyndale Bible. His execution was followed by execution of former Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranor, Cremner, uh, who was primarily responsible for printing the Great Bible. Hundreds more would follow in Mary's bloody reign of terror. This earned Queen Mary the title Bloody Mary. What's been before she'll be again. We're dealing with that spirit right now in our nation and other nations. It's trying to rise to a position of power. Right now there's some things going on that will seed our nation over to a medical organization to make decisions of whether or not you can leave your house, whether you have to go into a permanent camp, and we are about to lose our sovereignty if we're not careful and we don't pray it down. And that's coming up next week. Coming to a neighborhood near you? So let's talk about Herodias and John the Baptist, Matthew 14, 3 through 13. John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of what? Elijah. Jezebel in the spirit of Elijah in Revelation 2, 20 through 24 and Malachi 4, 4 through 5. Jezebel is called out by name by the resurrected Jesus 
on the Isle of Patmos. The church in the book of Revelation attempts to take captive the congregation and stands against those who carry the spirit of Elijah uh, or the prophetic anointing. So Elijah is coming. Here, here's the thing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stated that the ministry of Elijah was not over. Listen to this. The prophetic anointing is the spirit of Elijah, and it confronts the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel is a false prophetess, and Elijah is the real prophet. And they contend against each other. Malachi the prophet also wrote, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the hearts of the children back to the fathers, lest he smite the earth with a curse. This is a prophetic church which you and I are called to be. The spirit of Jezebel, as history records, will try and stop the spirit of Elijah. Remember when Jezebel lined up the 850 Baal prophets against one Elijah. They were false prophets under Jezebel. She was a witch, and they were her little warlocks under her authority. And he said, let us serve the God who answers by fire. The prophetic anointing the real prophet's office is confrontational as well as loving, and it will confront the spirit of Jezebel face to face, and there will be a showdown, and there will be power encounters. Just like Moses in the Old Testament had power encounters with Janus and Jambres, the magicians, with real signs and wonders and false signs and wonders. Jezebel killed Naboth over his vineyard in 1 Kings 21. Herodias killed John the Baptist over his preaching, Matthew 14, 8 through 13. Jezebel seeks to kill God's children in the church through a number of things. One, compromise doctrine, bad doctrine, and sexual compromise. Do you know how many ministers have been knocked off through sexual compromise that were mighty men of God? You know what's interesting about Samson? A thousand Philistines couldn't bind him, but one woman could. Be careful what you have in common with that spirit. Okay, the 30 amazingly consistent traits of the Jezebel spirit. Are you ready? Number one, before we get there, Jezebel is a spirit, but has found access through uncrucified flesh. If we have uncrucified flesh, this spirit will have access to us to push our buttons, to offer us something in trade. Number one, Jezebel, this spirit operating through a person, refuses to admit guilt or wrongdoing. You ever notice when somebody's confronted, if they're real, they'll be like, you know, I made a mistake. You know, I'm sorry. And your heart changes toward them. This spirit doubles down. No, you're the problem, not me. I didn't do that. You did it. And they double down. A Jezebel spirit is never wrong unless it is a temporary admittance of guilt to gain favor with someone. Very manipulative. To accept responsibility would violate the core of insecurity and pride from which this spirit operates. If you have insecurity and pride, Jezebel will have free reign in your life. You have to get your identity in him, get it back, and then you're not moved. When a Jezebel apologizes, it is never true repentance or acknowledgement of wrongdoing but rather says, I'm sorry your feelings were hurt. I'm not sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry your feelings were hurt. You're weak. I'm sorry that you're just that sensitive. Number two, Jezebel takes credit for everything. While a strong trait of Jezebel is to never take responsibility for wrong actions or behavior, 
it's also quick to take credit for benefits for which he or she contributed no effort. I know you guys are thinking to yourself, oh, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so. We're going to go through 30 traits. Here's the thing. Some of these traits are going to be you or me in the area of uncrucified flesh. When I first wrote this teaching or put pieces together from different materials or from the Bible, I don't even know at this point who all stuff might be contained in this teaching. Because I pulled this up because the Holy Spirit prompted me to get this, and I pulled up a teaching from 20 years ago. So this is a hodgepodge of different things. This is not all my material, but it's material that God taught me through on a confrontation that I had to deal with on more than one occasion. And by the way, the minute you tangle with the Jezebel spirit, it's not a weekend. It's months before you get through it. Your character may be assassinated. Your friends will turn against you. People's real character. You'll be falsely accused of things. It's a twisting, manipulative spirit that comes to divide and conquer and character assassinate you and try to pull you into the fray of battle that you don't have anything to do with. Number three, this Jezebel spirit. And remember, a Jezebel spirit is not a woman. It's a spirit. It's gender neutral. It operates through a woman or a man. It takes all prisoners. It uses people to accomplish its agenda. The Jezebel spirits lets others do its dirty work. The Jezebel gets another person's emotions stirred up. You don't know what they did. They, they did what? Oh, yeah, they did it. Yeah. And it'll, oh, I'm going to get even. I'm, I'm sending them an email. I'm texting them now. Oh, oh, I'm not telling you to do that. No, no, I'm going to defend you. They don't even know that the Jezebel spirit has twisted the facts, lied, manipulated, and then stirred somebody against you. Now you're not in a battle with the person with the Jezebel spirit. You're in a battle with somebody they pulled into the battle to fight in their behalf. Jezebel manipulates without the use of physical force. She doesn't raise a finger. She stirs up other people. A woman with the Jezebel spirit will stir up her boyfriend to go do bad things. Jealousy, strife, go beat somebody up, accuse him of something. <sighs> the Jezebel sits back looking innocent, saying, Who, me? What did I do? This behavior makes it difficult for even the most ardent truth seekers to pin a Jezebel down. The Jezebel spirit is clever in its agenda. Number four, it withholds information. This is a form of control. A Jezebel wields power over you by knowing something you don't know in a situation. In the eyes of a Jezebel, having information you don't have is a powerful weapon of control. Well, you don't know what I know about the situation. Well, really, what's that? I can't tell you. It's in the lockbox. I'm under confidentiality. But you just pray about it. You just pray about it. But I'm telling you, it's a real issue. <laughs> they sow discord amongst the brethren. Talks in confusion, number five. It's impossible to converse with a Jezebel in logic because they're only seeking control and manipulation and to get a position over you. So when you start to ask them questions logically, they change the subject, they twist, they bring up another thing. One pastor wrote a six-page letter to his elders about a situation in the church. The context was so vague that no one without 
that no one was without confusion. This is a way to maintain control over and domination. When confronting Jezebel, the subject may be changed five times in one minute. Confusion keeps them undiscovered and un, under, unexposed. Number six, a Jezebel spirit will volunteer for anything. They want to participate. They're some of the most active participants in the marketplace and in the church. A Jezebel volunteers in order to establish control, not to help out. This spirit seemingly has endless nervous energy and eagerly looks for opportunities to be in charge of projects. And they're gifted. Although he or she will work hard, their motive is never pure and eventually the secret agenda cannot be hidden. Number seven, lies. Jezebel lies convincingly. They would rather lie on credit than tell the truth for free. No one can lie better than a person with a Jezebel spirit. Yeah, maybe a Lucifer spirit, a narcissist. He or she can turn on the charm and make you believe blue is red. He always fools those whom he's just met while those who have been victimized by his or her tactics stand by helplessly. The fact that Jezebel can look you in the eye and lie just shows how strong and adamant this rebellious and recalcitrant spirit really is. Number eight, ignores people. A classic ploy of a controller is to ignore you when you disagree with them, making you feel rejected, insignificant, unheard, or inept. This tactic is frequently used by leaders when someone doesn't agree with their plans and they isolate the person by ignoring them or cutting them off from the next meeting so they don't have a voice. Some in these situations have been ignored for months just because they chose not to be a puppet and say to every idea or whim. This puts the person out of the leader's grace and forces him to either come around to the leader's way of thinking or to be indefinitely ignored or rejected. One is not free to disagree with a controller. We need to be able to agree to disagree agreeably, but we need to have our voices heard. You know, as a prophetic voice, the Lord would often send me to a pastor who had pastoral authority. And they wouldn't often obey the prophetic voice because the difference between a prophet and a politician is this. A politician finds out what people already want and the direction they're going, runs out ahead of them, grabs a banner, touts the same things, and says, follow me. And they all go off a cliff together. A prophet is sent by God to confront people that are going the wrong direction and to tell them, go back, the bridge is out. Turn around, repent. The politician is lauded and funded, the prophet is rejected and murdered. What spirit are you operating in? Are you a politician or a prophet? Are people turning around when you speak? Or are you just finding out what's popular and leading them down the primrose path so they can support you with position, power, prominence, gold, glory, girls, guys, whatever it is? Number nine. A Jezebel spirit never gives credit or shows gratitude. A Jezebel spirit will rarely acknowledge another person's actions, not even for something that turned out to greatly benefit the Jezebel. He or she cannot bring him or herself to thank you or to acknowledge that someone else did something right. 
There are those who have gone out of their way to bless a Jezebel by being the catalyst of sending him or her on a trip or giving them a gift. It could even be life-changing. Yet never will there be a thank you. This again puts the controller in a position of power. Number 10, a Jezebel criticizes everyone, even subtly, undermines them. Oh, that was a great sermon by so-and-so. Yeah, but did you hear that one thing that they said? They'll take the great sermon, strain out a gnat to swallow a camel and bring you into the thing that now you start to think about that instead of the great things that brought you into the presence of God in transformation. They'll never talk about the 99.99% pure gold. They'll talk about the 0.001% dross because they want you to be focused on what's wrong, not on what's right. And they want to undermine that person's authority. And they want you to see flaws. Well, yeah, but they're not perfect. They've got a chink in their armor. Well, they're just a man. I know, but what a great anointing on them. Well, I've seen better. They just never can let it go without getting that dig in and making you think something might be wrong with that person. A Jezebel feels threatened by anyone who dares to steal the limelight or anyone who's a threat to his or her power and control. If you are with such a person and tell of your accomplishment or victory, you can be assured he or she will quickly tell you of something that he or she has accomplished. It's the one-upmanship anointing. Oh yeah, I won three people to Christ yesterday. It was amazing. I was at a stoplight and this happened. And the next thing you know, I got out to help the homeless person. And then two of his friends came and I preached the gospel and three came to Christ. Oh, that's really great. I led six to Christ yesterday. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. And two healings. And, um, and there was a creative miracle in an eye. Wow, do you have pictures of the people? The three people I led to Christ, they're going to get water baptized next week. Oh, these people were passing through. I led them to the Lord. They got their miracle. They're going to email me. I'll get back with you on it. But yeah, yeah, I won six. The one-upmanship anointing. Whatever you tell them, they've got a bigger story because they can't allow you to be in the limelight for any moment, even when you're giving the glory to God. It gets in their craw. Number 12, sequesters information. A, Jeze a Jezebel loves to be in control of information. If there's ever a situation where information is important, he will push to be the first to know it. He seems to know everything about everyone. They're knowledge junkies. They'll spend endless hours on the phone. They'll text you late at night. And they'll, when you're tired and they're ready to manipulate you, They'll text you late, hey, it's important, I need to talk to you, I had a dream, it's the second dream I've had, and I need to share this with you because I'm concerned. And it's not a dream from the Lord, you're tired. Just tell them, I'm available on Tuesday. Well, today's Sunday. Give them 48 hours to get back to their prophetic dreams. Because they'll try to work you when you're tired. And they'll try to get you into agreement with them over the phone. They might even record you or send a text message string back and forth with you and get you to agree with them when you're tired, when you don't even really feel like you're in agreement with them, you're just trying to get rid of them that night. And then they'll copy and paste your text message 
and use it against you to the person that they were speaking against in the first place, and they'll take things out of context. Some names coming to mind, faces. Remember, it's not the person, it's a system and a way of doing things. This is Jezebelian thinking. Where the Jezebel gets all his information is beyond comprehension, but he can dictate to you data and details about people's lives and actions in mass quantities when you bring them up. It's like they're data mining at the church in conversations. Number 13, uses information. A Jezebel uses information as leverage for power and then shares tidbits with you, often things told to them in confidence. They violate confidentiality. You know, my wife and I have an agreement. If somebody tells me something pastorally in confidentiality, and it's a sensitive matter, like a guy might confess he's having an issue with me, to, to me, and I'll pray for him, and my wife will be like, oh, who was that on the phone? Oh, somebody, you know, this is, well, it's a confidential matter. Well, well, who was it? It's confidential. And you know what? Initially, when we had that conversation seven years ago when we were married, I'm your wife. Why can't you tell me? Because it's confidential. Now we have an understanding. If a woman tells her something, I don't want to know if it's confidential. I just want the Lord to resolve the issue. And if a guy tells me something confidentially, it's between me, the person, and the Lord. Because the minute you break that confidence, now you've created a barrier and you've wounded somebody by sharing. Sometimes I'll say, is this a matter that I can share with my wife for prayer confidentially? Yes, you can. I trust your wife. I need prayer. If not, I prefer not. It's in the lockbox. It never goes anywhere. Why? Because it's between me and that person and the Lord. They don't need that stuff out. I mean, there's things that I know I would never say. And guess what? I've had people turn on me and I knew things about them and could have really spilled the beans and they would have lost their position of power, prominence, prestige, their glory, their gold, and whatever else. But I couldn't disclose it, not even when they were lying and manipulating and trying to take me down with false accusations because it was a violation of confidentiality. I've actually seen people that would repent months later and come to me and say, I was scared to death you were going to tell people what you knew about me that I'd shared with you in confidence. And you never did. You're a true Christian. You carried the nature of Jesus far better than I did. But now I've repented. Don't dishonor what God allowed somebody to share with you in confidentiality to hurt them or to share. And you know, another thing is this. I'm just calling you uh, for a prayer request. I had an unnamed person. Um, I can't tell you their name. Uh, they're a male. They're 42 years old. Uh, but their initials are John Smith. Um, and and I, I'm just calling for prayer. Are you calling for prayer or are you using intercession and prayer for gossip session? And you'll find that those people never get to the prayer point. So this is what I do when somebody calls me. I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. Well, let's go ahead and pray right now. And they're like, Lord, if Jimmy's in error, correct him and change him. If Sally's in error, correct her and change her. If I'm in error, correct me and change me, but change us all into the image and likeness of Jesus. We give you permission to work and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, yeah, oh, amen. Well, I want to talk to you about it. No, we've already prayed about it. If you want to talk more about it, we can call them together. Did you follow the Matthew 18 principle? Did you go to them one-on-one? -on -one? Well, I was, you know, I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to approach them alone. Matthew 18 says you can. You go to them one-on-one. -on -one. If they receive you, then you've won your brother or sister over. If not, you go with a second person. And if you win them over, you've won them. If not, then you take them before the church. But you put their dirty laundry in front of the church before you even went to them one-on-one. -on -one? You know, there's a rabbi story where it was probably a thousand years ago, first, second millennium, anyway, let's call it a thousand AD. This man comes to the rabbi in the village and he says, Rabbi, he says, I've done a terrible thing. He says, what have you done? He says, well, I bore false witness and told accusations against so-and-so and it got all through the town and I know what I've done is wrong. It's ruined their reputation. People aren't even looking at them the right way. And what I said isn't even true. And the rabbi says, oh, he says, do you have a feather pillow? And he says, yes, I do. He says, go get the feather pillow and bring it back to me. So he gets the feather pillow and he brings it back. He says, here's a knife. I want you to cut open the feather pillow. And he cuts it open. And he says, oh, rabbi, thank you so much for helping me resolve this issue. So I want you to take this feather pillow and that tree over there. I want you to beat the feather pillow against the tree. And so he does. And the feathers go everywhere. And he says, is this it, Rabbi? I, I feel a little better. I feel a little better. He says, no, it's not done yet. He says, now I need you to go throughout the entire town and pick up all the feathers and put them back in the pillow and sew it back up. He says, well, I can never get all the feathers back. They're all over town and they're blowing everywhere. He says, neither can you get all the slander and accusation and gossip and tailbearing out of the ears and the minds of the people for what you've done. And that's a lesson to us. So when you go before the Lord in prayer, in intercession, are you going to pray for the person or to accuse the person before God? It's two ministries that go on before the throne of God day and night, the ministry of intercession, Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. Jesus forever lives to make intercession for the saints of God and is able to save from the uttermost to the guttermost those that come to God by him. So there's a ministry of intercession that goes on 24-7, 365. There's another ministry that goes on 24-7, 365. It's called the ministry of accusation. The, the devil, the accuser of the brethren is cast down who, ca who accused the saints of God before the throne of God day and night. Revelation 12, 10, and 11. What ministry are you in? I can tell by what comes out of your mouth in our conversations whether you're an intercessor in lockstep with Jesus or you're in lockstep with another spirit. Amen or ouch. <laughs> Hallelujah or heretic. Okay, number 14. A Jezebel talks incessantly. Many people talk habitually, but a Jezebel uses talking as a form of control. In a typical conversation, he or she does all the talking, whether it's about sports, weather, or the kingdom of God. Because this is a form of control, he's unable to receive input from anyone in his life. All conversation with him or her is one-sided. You are always doing the listening with a Jezebel. Number 15, a Jezebel spiritualizes everything. When a controller is confronted, he or she commonly spiritualizes the situation, explaining it off on God. We had somebody do something one day and 
they broke something and you know it was an accident something oh my gosh I, I can I pay for that this and that oh I, that was the Lord because uh, you know um, this is happening in America and this is a prophetic sign and I was just like wow I'm like that's an interesting way to clean that one up so I had to go replace it and pay for it and you know just fix it and but anyway people will spiritualize everything so uh, this prevents the Jezebel from owning up to responsibility that's required the implication is always you've got a problem I don't number 16 a Jezebel never takes the side of the employer you know what we're gonna stop on 15 and we'll do the other third 15 at a different time this is part one of Jezebel but I want to share some quick Jezebel stories as we're closing you ready Okay, so the first time I ran into a Jezebel spirit, it was a male. And it was a prisoner who was a worship leader. And it was in uh, about 1992, and I was a young believer. And this person slowly took a position of authority in the church. And then got a job at the chapel. And then was the worship leader. And then began to slowly undermine the work of the chaplain. Undermine the work that I was doing on the compound. The next thing you know, this person had amassed a total of five other people with them that all kind of came under that spirit. And before it was over with, the chapel went from 150 people coming on Sunday morning to 18. And it created the religious wars. It's in my book, Jet Ride to Hell, Journey to Freedom, JetRideBook.com. But it's, it's called the religious wars, I think. And it got to the point where these three men came to me. They were, you know, former not-so-good guys that had gotten born again. They were seeking the Lord, but they were so angry at everything that had happened to me. And I'd been spit on by, you know, one of them, uh, falsely accused. I mean, it was just horrible. And it went on for like a year and a half. It was not a short-term thing. And so I asked the Lord, what am I supposed to do? He said, go wash his feet. I said, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> so I ended up having to go wash his feet. The situation was so intense that when I showed up at his cell, he thought I was there to kill him, to shank him. Because I had three guys come to me, former kind of, you know, drug dealer, mafia type. And they said, we're tired of what's going on. Whatever you say to do, David, we'll do it. We're going to go get those six guys. And they had shanks. And I'm thinking, wow, this is not, this is not, this is this really escalated, right? And I was at a medium security prison. There was some, you know, knifing shankings that went on there from time to time and and so, but it wasn't common. And I said, so you guys are ready to do anything I tell you to do? And they said, yep, anything you tell us to do, we'll do it. And we're getting ready to go right now on your word. And I said, okay, so anything I say to do, you guys are going to do. Yep. I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. They leaned in. I said, we're going to forgive them. And they said, forgive them? I said, forgive them. The other one said, forgive them? I said, forgive them. The other one goes, forgive them? I said, forgive them. They looked at each other. Dave says, we're going to forgive them. 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 I said, yep. So anyway, they didn't go shank those guys. But I was in a position of authority to order a hit on my Christian brothers. Isn't that crazy? In a prison setting. But instead, we forgave them, and I passed that test. And what happened was, eventually these guys got out of prison. The, the, the keynote 
person that I ended up washing the feet of, never repented, got out, became an assistant pastor and a worship leader at a 600-member congregation, I won't tell you the state, and eventually, and would block my letters to the pastor who was a friend of mine. And uh, sadly, he was married with children, but his hidden sin that he refused to deal with an issue unresolved will evolve. And then he was arrested for an inappropriate act with a 14-year-old boy in the front seat of his car as an assistant pastor of a 600-member congregation that led people to Christ on a weekly basis. And then that pastor also fell later, not before this person with the Jezebel spirit grabbed the donor list and wrote to all the top donors that the pastor is not fit to be a pastor and tried to rip the heart out of the congregation. That's what a Jezebel spirit does. But it volunteers for everything, it gets involved. Second time I ran into a Jezebel, oh, and, and the others that were involved, one of them got out, got a 25-year sentence. This one threatened my life at a table um, because they were losing their position of power. The minute these guys left the church, the church filled up again in prison, and people were rejoicing when these guys were gone. And so they crept back in again with false repentance. And they started to take over, but they never took back over. Sad situation. Another one got out. He had threatened me, and he ended up getting a heroin case, got 25 years. Another one got out, got back on drugs, and uh, started sleeping with prostitutes. And got so high on drugs, cut out part of his own tongue. By the way, these were people that were in the Word every day. They were in Bible study all the time, but they didn't have a right heart. They were never transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. They just had religious knowledge and head, head faith, but didn't have heart faith. And then out of the six, are you ready for this? Only one of them made it out of the six. The rest of them either ended up back in prison or dead or horrible stuff and the one that made it was the one that came to me and he said you know David I don't agree with what's going on and I don't see what they see and he actually came out of lockstep with them we never agreed doctrinally we agreed to disagree agreeably but he's the only one that made it and of course by the grace of God I made it as well but don't allow this spirit to get into your life because if you come into league with it and agreement with it it will not just ruin your life, it will result in sickness and disease can take you to hell. This person who went back for the sexual crime tried to ping me recently on Facebook. He's back out again. He's married to another woman and he's a sex offender for life as, you know, a pedophile. And he, I was polite to him, I just was very polite but I wouldn't allow him to friend me. And recently he sent me something about another minister. And I'm thinking, why would you send me something negative about another minister? I could have just like searched the internet and sent him back 14 year old pedophile, you know, pastor pedophile. I didn't do that, of course, but this is the type of sin that people with this spirit actually have deep seated in their heart. And instead of getting transformed in the likeness of Jesus, in his presence, they continue to point the finger and undermine the work of God. The second time I ended up uh, battling a Jezebel spirit was in Springfield, Missouri. It was 1997, 98. And this 
woman was a pastor, a chaplain, and she got up and the first time she preached, I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, she had preached a good message, but it was a half-hearted salvation call. People didn't really get saved, but it was good doctrine. The second time I said, Lord, you know, she's, she's preaching very well. He said, she's about to, what did he say? He said something effective. She's about to turn against the other chaplain and take disciples after herself. And I said, not so, Lord. He said, mark my words. And in the message, all of a sudden, she subtly began to preach against the gifts of the Spirit. And she was a cessationist. She didn't believe in the gifts. And then she began to remove every program that I was over and came up with legal reasons why an inmate couldn't run that program. And she began to send inmates to assault me and to try to kill me. She tried to get me put in the psychiatric ward. We were at the Medical Center for Federal Prisoners. She was so vile. Finally, she called me in one day and she pulled me into her office and I wouldn't be with her alone. I always wanted a witness. And she gave me a direct order. I was stuck in her office and she looked at me and she didn't blink in 45 minutes. It was the freakiest thing I'd seen. And she looked at me. She says, God hasn't really called you. You're not called by God. You called yourself. This went on for 15 minutes. And I said, no, God has called me. I said, and I stand in him. And then she switched to, well, you're creating division and strife on this compound. The accusation, you need to just not preach anymore because it's creating too much division and strife. So 15 minutes of that went on and she wouldn't let me leave, direct order. And here's what happened. Then she switched to the third. You know, you really are called by God. You have such amazing gifts. Then she started with flattery to try to get me puffed up. And I walked out of there and we went on a seven day fast, several of us. And at the end of that fast, God broke something and it started, the sprinklers went off in the chaplain's office. But we didn't do this, God did this. And it washed. It, it, it literally flooded the chaplain's office. They had to go renovate everything and the alarms didn't go off and the water was going down the hallway and into the lieutenant's office and they couldn't figure out where it was and all their files. They had to, God cleaned house, had to rip out all the carpet and everything and we got all new volunteers and that's when she came against me, started bearing false witness, saying that she feared for her life as long as I was on the compound because the level of control I had over inmates, the next thing I know, I'm locked up and shipped to another facility. And as I'm leaving the facility, another lieutenant says, Herod Beating, is that you black boxed, double cuffed? What is going on? I said, well, sir, I said, uh, chaplain so-and-so. He said, what, what? He goes, oh, he says, I've heard about it. He's, I've been on vacation for, for two weeks. She's been gunning for you for like six months. He said, how'd she knock you off? I said, the new captain who doesn't know me. He said, I need a favor. I said, what's that? He said, will you uh, be like the, the bus tender and you know, hand out coffee and, and sandwiches on the road? I go, sure. He goes, take off his cuffs. 
Take off his shackles. Take off that black box. I left Springfield, Missouri with no shackles, no cuffs from being triple, a double handcuffed and black box and belly chain and shackles with the real short ones. You could just go like this. And I ended up leading, by the grace of God, three people to Christ out of psychiatric unit uh, on the bus on the next facility. And when I arrived, guess what? That Jezebel had written a letter by email and sent it to the chaplain and said all kinds of false things about me. And he actually came and threatened me. Said he was going to have me shipped. And I said to him, I said, none of those things are true. I said, but I've heard things about you too. I said, but I told them you were a man of God until you prove otherwise. And he said, well, yeah, you're right. You're a man of God until you're proven otherwise. I said, well, one thing's for sure. I said, tree's known by its fruit, so we're not going to be able to fake it for very long, are we? And he looked at me, and he went and repented in believing the word of the chaplain over the word of the Lord. He and I became good friends. He endorsed my book, Get Right Now, Journey to Freedom. Revival kicked off on that compound. I became the chaplain's head clerk, and the power of God fell, and it became the most happening place in Waseca, Minnesota. And what happened was volunteers from churches were calling. They wanted to come into the, 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 the prison chapel, not to volunteer, but to get into church because of the revival and the move of God that was taking place there. And so this is the Jezebel spirit when you have the anointing of an Elijah and God's raising up and releasing the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, hearts of the children back to the fathers, like Malachi 4, 4 and 5 says. And Jezebel is rising in the earth, and we have to confront this. But the first thing we have to do is this. We have to get our obedience fulfilled before we can avenge all disobedience. Otherwise, we'll have something in common with that spirit. So there's 15 of the 30 amazingly consistent traits of a Jezebel spirit. On another week, we will go after the others, and we'll share some ways to overcome this spirit. But don't go praying against Jezebel. You need to go into the courts of heaven and ask God to judge that spirit because it's a principality. And if you don't handle this thing right, it can clean your clock. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us revelation knowledge on this matter that we're not tricked, trapped, or deceived. We thank you for giving us revelation. You said that my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. I pray, Lord, that as we finish this first section and we move into the second section on the sexual immorality and how it's entered into our society in every area, I pray, Lord, that you would prepare us for that and that you would give us this nice foundation to build upon so that we can be all we're called to be in you and that we would not be jealous or envious of other people that you're raising up, but we would partner with them in the Lord to help them become all they're called to be, where one can put a thousand of flight and two can chase 10,000. Now, if you've been caught up in this thinking or if any of these earmark signs have been in your life, just simply say, I repent, Lord. I turn from those. I turn to you. Deliver me from the soul wounds in my heart of rejection and abandonment and pride, whatever it is. Deliver me from the root that my obedience might be fulfilled and then I'm impenetrable and protected from having something in common with that spirit and gold glory or girls or guys and power, position, prominence would not be idols, but rather you would be the preeminence. You'd be the proton, the first, and that we would seek that 
others might know you and the power of your resurrection. And we thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Those in agreement said, Amen. Amen. I'm David. This is my lovely wife, Joanna. And there's a wave. And we will see you next week. Visit us online at virtualchurchmedia.com. We also have Virtual Church Institute, different tier levels of access to curated content. And uh, if you want to sew online, partner with us, either heartprisonministries.org, Bibles for Prisoners, or virtualchurchmedia.com. And we'll see you next time. God bless you. Amen.